All right, let's go to second, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. I have one verse, but the whole chapter is really great context. If you want to read that when you get home, it's good homework. Uh, so it says here, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So let me read that again. Now you are the body and individually members of it. The title of my message this morning is, I'm the problem, it's me. Yeah, I'm the problem, it's me. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, I just pray in Jesus' name, God, you would be with us. God, you would speak to the doubter. And God, you would help the disciple. Father, help us take a step closer to you. And thank you for your presence. Amen. Grab a seat. Pull out your guides. Let's jump in this morning. I got my phone out. In two seconds, I got to pull out. There we go. All right. What's going on, everybody? I am going to selfie preach today. I've never actually done this. Come on. Uh, come on at 11 o'clock. Come on. Y'all need to look a little more excited. We've been uh, three weeks in a series on Don't Catch the Isms. Come on, are you guys over there? My wife's not even paying attention. Yeah. Um, three weeks in a series called Don't Catch the Isms, and I decided that I would preach uh, um, a message that is um, culturally appropriate, and that is a selfie message. How about that? Does that sound good? You guys cool with that? So the whole message, I'm going to be preaching... Uh, selfie style. Is that okay? Is that all right? You, you guys like the back of my head? My back of my head's amazing. Um, I got some calyx back there that my hairdresser gets upset at. But no, I'm excited to preach today. We've been in a message series called Don't Catch the Isms. Y'all thought I was playing. I'm dead serious. And we talked about cynicism week one. We're gonna, we talked about racism. And today we're going to be talking about individualism. Come on, where are my, all my individuals out? I'm playing. I'm not really going to do this the whole time. How many of you guys know that there are certain times to do a selfie and then there are certain times not to do a selfie? Uh, we took our family uh, to Disney World a couple of uh, year ago, two years ago, and uh, one of the interesting things is they're in the Magic Kingdom, and the whole time they're in the Magic Kingdom, they're looking at the Magic Kingdom through their phone. And so they're walking down Main Street and connecting with um, Mickey Mouse and all the things, and all it is is selfie style. They even have like GoPros now where with a stick, and they're walking through Disney World. We, we went to a cowboy game, and someone gifted us. We could have never have paid for this or never would have. Uh, uh, on the front row, 50-yard line of the Dallas Cowboy game, literally the Cowboys are like right where you're at. And there were individuals that were trying to take selfies with them, but like long-range selfies. So they're there and they're like, hey, 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 Dak, who's a Cowboy quarterback. And they're like yelling at them, trying to get selfies. And I'm like, man, this is an incredible game. And you're trying to get a selfie. And it's not really even a selfie. It's like a creepy selfie because they're 20 yards away. Um, and then the, the individual sitting to our right began to live stream the whole game, like from his Instagram live with his face in it. And it was like this massive flex on all his friends that, he was like, I'm at the Cowboy game, which, by the way, like, I don't want to watch the Cowboy game on your phone. I'd rather watch it on NBC. They have better cameras. <laughs> We've been in this series called Don't Catch the Isms because often our isms keep us from becoming his image. And really, as believers, we're meant to look and behave and be images of Christ in the world today. But often our ideologies, our, our isms, the way we think, sometimes arguments and opinions and cultural uh, ways of thinking keep us from doing that. And the central text uh, for this series is out of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It says this, We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And here's what this means. There are opinions and arguments and thoughts that go against what the Word of God says. 
In fact, Jesus in the word says this, that, that we are the clay in the potter's hands. And often the arguments, opinions, and isms are rocks stuck in the clay that keep us from being shaped and formed into the image of God. And many of us, like concrete, we were moldable for a little bit, but now we've become rigid. And sometimes God has to get his Holy Spirit jackhammer and kind of bust up something that's become stuck. But we're always meant to be shaped um, in fact, in Romans chapter 12, too, it says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's a lot of critics of, of faith and Christianity that would say that basically in order to be a Christian, you have to check your brain in the parking lot before you come in. But that is not what scripture says. It's sometimes we get stuck in certain isms and we need a little bit of a reboot. Come on, how many of you guys, when your computer gets messed up, you just try to unplug it and plug it back in or your Wi-Fi router, you need to hit the restart. You have to unplug it and plug it back. Isn't that crazy how easy that works, right? You just unplug it, plug it back in, and all of a sudden you have internet again. Sometimes that needs to happen for our brain in the sense that God needs to kind of restart and refresh some things in our mind because we get stuck in a certain direction. And one of the biggest isms facing, facing Western society is this ism of individualism. Individualism. Individualism, simply a, a simple definition, is the priority of self at the sacrifice of others. We live in a culture where me is the most important person in the room. What I want, what I desire, my goals, my achievements. And if that means that I have to sacrifice my friendship, I have to sacrifice the relationship, or I have to step on your face and your neck to get above you, it doesn't matter because I'm the most important person. We live in a modern society that, that this is a massive pressing issue uh, because we continually to live for ourself. We think the world's axis revolves around us, but individualism is not just thinking that I'm the greatest. Sometimes people can struggle with individualism and think that they're the worst. They can think that I have nothing to offer. They think that I'm not good enough. They're still only thinking of themselves. Individualism is something that is really, we're, we're really struggling with and have struggled in a Western society that's very bootstrap-like, right? I will pull myself up from my bootstraps. I will make it happen for myself. I will grind and, and I will achieve my goals. The problem is, is there's a lot of negatives that come with individualisms and, and uh, individualism and symptoms that show up in your, our life. And I'd like to run down a few of those symptoms and to see if they connect with you. A person that struggles with individualism often has a small to no significant social network. It's difficult for them to make meaningful friends because it's always something that they did. They're easily offended. They're always looking at someone else that's the problem and they end up having no real significant network, network and friendship. They may have a lot of acquaintances. They may have a lot of followers. They may have a, a lot of things on the outside that look like there's, there's uh, engaging friends, but really when it comes to deep, meaningful, meaningful friendships, people who struggle with individualism often don't. People who struggle with individualism lack emotional intelligence. They're not very aware of other people. They say things like, that's just who I am. People who struggle with individualism use their personality as a reason and an excuse to be rude. 
You ever met somebody like that? They're just rude. They're just mean. They're cutting. They're, they put people down. They're always negative. Uh, and oftentimes, they lack emotional awareness, and they blame uh, their you know, Enneagram number or their Myers-Briggs or their upbringing. Uh, and this is a real person who struggles with individualism. Uh, individualism, they struggle with deep anxiety. Because they think that everybody is studying them and judging them. And so they're always worried about how their reputation is and how they're coming across because they want to present a perfect self. Um, Today, people will sell out for a certain lifestyle, an ideal lifestyle, while having their actual life slip through their fingers. They sell out to career, they sell out to money, they sell out to fame, they sell out to achievement, uh, and they sell out to uh, an image that they project to the world. Uh, probably the most, the, the easiest place that we see individualism is in sex, because we live in a world that's basically a hookup culture. Um, we delay marriage, we delay having kids um, for the sole purpose of just living our own sexual lifestyles. We, uh, we, we want to pick and choose how we want to express ourselves sexually. And what ends up happening is that you begin to live a selfish lifestyle where everything is revolved around me. Yes, I'm the problem. It's me. A selfish life will ultimately lead to an empty life. Now, on the opposite side of individualism, this is something that we struggle in the Western world, but if you have family or if you are for somebody that's not from the Western culture, Western society world, you struggle with an opposite problem, that is collectivism. Collectivism basically is the suppressing of self for other people. And so you see this um, in political and economic systems like communism or socialism, where it flattens personal expression, it flattens uniqueness, it devalues personal gift set, and basically it's I have to do for others. And you would honestly think that, wait a minute, isn't that what Jesus says? Do you supposed to lay down your life uh, for another person? Of course, we do lay down our life, but we still are uniquely designed and we should express that. And so there's, uh, there's people who are close to me in my life. And, and a lot of times when you str- see cultures who struggle with collectivism, uh, basically it works out like this. Uh, there's people in my life that I know that basically said, I wasn't able to choose what I wanted to do when I got older. My family and my community picked for me. And then I had to go get that degree, work in that job. And now my responsibility is to send money back to the community who uh, supported me to get here. And they basically said, I had three options. I could be a really successful business person, I could be a doctor, or I could be a lawyer. And uh, if I wanted to be anything else, uh, the family and the community said, no way. Come on, have you ever been in situations or communities or families like that, that it go, you're going to conform to this? So in this, we have two poles. We have individualism and we have collectivism. C.S. Lewis had a really great quote I want to read to you and then want to unpack. Some of you guys are like, where's he going with this? I'll I'll explain it in just a minute. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote, I feel a strong desire to tell you, and I expect you feel a strong desire to tell me which of these two errors, individualism or collectivism, is the worst. That is the devil getting at us. He always sends errors into the world in pairs, pairs of opposites. And he always encourages us to spend a lot of time thinking which is the worst. You see why, of course. He relies on your extra dislike of the one error to draw you gradually into the opposite one. 
But do not let us be fooled. We have to keep our eyes on the goal and go straight through between both errors. We have no other concern uh, than, than that with either of them. Okay, so let me land this. Let me bring it home. Many of us, because we live in a Western society, um, we maybe experience something in our childhood and what that did is it drove us in the opposite direction because we did not want to be like our parents. When anybody, you'd, you, you didn't want to be like mom and dad. So for me, um, we grew up uh, pretty much in a, we, we, were, we were low middle class. We didn't have a lot of money. Going out to eat was going to Sam's and eating the samples. Um, that was our going out to eat. And uh, like literally we didn't have video games, when I, we didn't have, I didn't have a Nintendo. Uh, for us to go to the arcade was going to Best Buy or Fry's Electronics or going to Walmart and playing the like the sample video games. Come on, did anybody ever do that? Because you didn't have it. So literally we'd be in Walmart and they had the little video game controller but the monitor was really high and we'd... Literally, my dad used to do this on a Friday night. We would drive to like a Best Buy or we would drive to like a Fry's Electronics because we didn't have anything at home. And, and maybe you saw your parents who had you young and who lived a little broke and maybe you didn't have things and maybe you couldn't go on vacations and you couldn't do certain things that maybe your other friends were doing. So what you said is you said, I don't ever want to be that, so I'm going to delay that or not do that. And what ends up happening is you go, I don't want to have kids because kids make me poor. I don't want to have a, a, a family because then it hinders my lifestyle. I don't want to get married because my parents went through a terrible divorce and I don't want to have that divorce. And, and what ends up happening is we look at certain situations and because, just like C.S. Lewis said, because we didn't like what we experienced in our past, we go the opposite way thinking we're going a better way, but we're actually going into error just the same. You see, in Jesus and in Christ, we can experience the joy of individuality and the fulfillment of community. We have both. We are uniquely designed. We have giftings that God's given us. God has given us certain passions, but also we have the fulfillment of being part of a larger community. There's a lot of critics of Christianity that says, well, all Christians are, are a giant monolith. You guys all look the same. You behave the same. And it's like, I have to, I have to flatten out kind of who I am as a person in order to fit into a Christian community. This is a total misrepresentation of what Scripture says. And a lot of critics, when they see Christians, they're like, no, no, no. Like, I don't want to look and behave because you guys all look and behave the same. And I'm like, have you ever seen TikTok? Like, you guys dance to the same song. <laughs> and you use the same music behind reels. And it's like, you call yourself an individual? It's like 70,000 people used that song and did the same thing. <laughs> don't know what that was, but it was something. <laughs> my son, my son, I love my son so much, but when he does something good, he does the gritty. And he thinks he's so cool because he, what, what I don't know what that is. It's terrible. And I'm like, every 12-year-old and 10-year-old does the gritty. You think you're unique? But the challenge is, is, is a lot of critics believe that we just become this monolith and it suppresses who we are and I, 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 I lose my individuality. And I'm like, no, no, no. In Christ, you become even more of an individual. You become even more gifted. You become even, you can lean into your passions, but it's attached to something beyond you. It's something bigger than me. So to go back to scripture, it says this. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 
Look at that. Let's read that a little more closely. Okay, so I'm a part of something beyond myself, but I'm individually a member of it. You see the two things of community and individuality. In Christ Jesus, I am uniquely me, but I'm a part of something bigger than myself. You see, the human body is incredibly complex. Um, 26 bones is what you have in each hand. And 27 bones is what you have in each foot. So you have, well, let me do the math really quick. That's 54 bones in my feet and 52 bones in my hand. All of them uh, uniquely designed to be able to be dexterous. Dexterity. To have dexterity. Thank you. Come on, Levin, I need you to help me here. Which means that half of the bones that you have in your body are either in your hands or in your feet. Isn't that pretty incredible? Like that's, I, I just think that's really cool. Now, here's the challenge. As, as amazing as my hand and your hand is and the complex engineering that went in to design it to be able to do all the cool things that shows dexterity and the strength and all the fun stuff, like think about a guitar player or someone who plays the trumpet or someone who can type 100 words a minute. I'm still working on this thing, right? You know, that's amazing. But, but detached from my body, it's worthless. Now, how many of you guys are... Uh, Think of it like this. How many of you guys are like, you're, you're a pinky? Where's all my pinky? You guys got, anybody got a pinky? Anybody not have a pinky because of a farming accident? Come on. <laughs> Come on, show me your pinky promise right here. Come on, that's all right. Come on, 11 o'clock. Have some fun with me. I know you're too cool. You're like, oh, I don't do that. I listen to Joe Rogan. I don't do silly things. Well, you, you know, I'm going to show me your pinky. Now, here's the crazy thing. A pinky is amazing, right? I think it's cool. The, the amount of engineering that went into the pinky. But what's crazy is this, is in a world that, that celebrates individualism, what we do is we try to detach the pinky from the body and, and we act like I'm the greatest pinky ever. Man, this pinky is going to go out and make seven figures. And maybe you will. This pinky is going to travel the world. This pinky is going to stay in five-star hotels. This pinky is going to drive a Tesla. This pinky is going to be incredible. But the problem is that the minute the pinky comes detached from the body, it becomes trash. How do I know this? I went to the doctor a few weeks ago. You go in the doctor, they got this red trash can. It's not like the other white trash can or the silver trash can. It's a red trash can, and it kind of has like a biohazard thing. It looks like a nuclear thing. And I was like, what's that used for? And they're like, oh, it's like needles that we put those needles in there. And I'm like, what other kind of stuff? And the guy goes, yeah, sometimes we put body parts in it. What? <laughs> what, do you, what do you say? Yeah, we put body parts in that. And I go, like big ones? And he goes, no, nah, like little ones. Or like if we have, we have to cut some flesh off, we, um, uh, you know, or if like there's a finger that's cut off, we actually put it in a Ziploc bag and seal it up and just throw it in the trash. Now, how crazy would it be if that pinky, like, tried to crawl out? Be like, oh, okay. What? <laughs> now, here's the crazy thing. That in our Western society, without God and without community, that's how many of us are living our lives. We're trying to be a pinky all on our own pinky. Here's the crazy thing. Maybe God didn't make you a pinky. He made you a thumb. Maybe he didn't make you a thumb. He made you a big toe. Maybe he didn't make you a big toe. He made you a belly button with some lint in it. But the point is... The point is that my value and my uniqueness 
is only significant when I'm a part of a body beyond myself. And you see, this is what Jesus is trying to talk about. He's trying to say, I've uniquely designed you and you're an incredible work of engineering, but that is only significant when you're attached to the body. It's not like God made us all thumbs. Even though some of you, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> he didn't make us all one thing. So, so here's what I want to encourage you with this morning, and that's this, that we all uh, are unique in our design, but we're uniform in our destiny. We're unique in our design, but we're uniform in our destiny. Philippians 2 verse 13 says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is working in your life both to will. He wants to. Some of you, you need that revelation right now. You don't have to convince God to want to work through your life. He wants to right now. And he is actively at work in your life for his good pleasure. So I just want to encourage you this morning. God has fun when he works through your life. God enjoys working through your unique design and your uniform destiny. Now, the problem with individualism is that sometimes we only set individual goals. Come on, 2023, how many of you guys, you set financial goals, you set health goals, you set culinary goals, you set all kinds of goals. How many of you set kingdom goals? Kingdom goals. Like God, in 2023, I want to personally lead five separate people to the Lord. And God's going to use you uniquely through your unique design, but a uniform purpose, a uniform destiny. And that's to build the kingdom of God. For many of us, we have to reframe the game. We have to see it in a different light. We have to see life through a different lens. For me, I'm a highly competitive person. When I play games with my kids, I destroy them. I stomp on them. I step on their necks, never come back again. If I play basketball with my son, I am throwing his stuff every single time. I am swatting that mess. Dad, why are you doing that? Because you stink. Get better. Dad, I'm only 10. Too bad. Grow up. Dad, you're a foot taller than me. Tough luck. When I play Monopoly with them, I make them mortgage all their properties. You will pay me the full rent. Everything. When I play Uno, draw four, draw four, draw four. I am smashing you. But then I had to reframe it a little bit. I have a little switch in my mind. I either am going to care about this game and be competitive, or I'm not going to care at all. Come on, any competitive people out there like that, you literally have to turn it off. And so for me now, it's not about just being competitive and winning. I've now reframed the purpose of, of playing games with my kids, and that is just to enjoy them. You have to begin to reframe your life. That your life is not just about what you want, but it's about what God wants to do through you. You see, you're not in your corporation just for you and your 401k. You are there to be a light. You are there for higher purpose. You are not in this church just because you drove by, but God has meaning for you, beyond you. We have to reframe the lens that we see our life through, and it can't be all about me. Yeah, I'm the problem, it's me. So I want to show you this. 
How do we hold the balance between I don't want to suppress and flatten my unique design, but I don't want to make it all about me. There's this middle ground. In Christ, we experience the joy of individuality where God has gifted us, but the fulfillment of community. How do I hold it in balance? And I want to, I want to go theological for just for a second here, and that is this, that God made humans and humanity in his image. It's very important that we understand the distinction between the two. We talked about this last week. That imago Dei, meaning I am made in the image of God, so I am individually made in the image of God, but we collectively are made in the image of God. How do I know that? Because you can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4, 5, and 6. If you have a Bible, I want you to underline a few things. Whether it's digital or whether it's physical. I'm going to read this. I'm going to show you what to underline. How do we arrive at this? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, 5, and 6 says this, Now therefore a variety is of gift, a varieties, now therefore are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Underline spirit, highlight spirit. And there are varieties of service in verse 5, but the same Lord. Underline Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So three things I wanted you to underline, highlight, and that's Spirit, Lord, and God. What is this? This is the Trinity. Spirit, Lord, and God. Without exploding your brains and going too deep into the Trinity, which starts to kind of go, wait, what's, which way is up? The Trinity basically is the expression of that there is God expressed individually through the three different forms and persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when, when God made humanity, what did he say? Let us make man in our image. Our image. So God is a singular person, but yet is expressed in three different independent forms. There's uniqueness to God. There's expression to God. So when God made humanity, he did not just make humanity to where you share the same eye color as him. Humanity should be sharing the same uniqueness and yet dependency all in the same breath. That's why for all of us, we should all be unique in our design, but uniform in our destiny. This is a really powerful thought when you begin to think of it. And the problem is, is when we live in a society that's all about me, that goes against the very design that God made you. Because now the Holy Spirit does not say to the Father and the Son, hey, I'm good, I don't need you. But they serve one another. They're in community with one another. They lean in one another, but yet there's one singular identity. This is powerful. As humans, we are the image bearers of God, but humanity displays it as well. So when we, in our giftings and our passions and our personality and the uniqueness of who we are, express that, we can be individuals without leaning into individualism, where it becomes all about me. So let's get really practical. I want to I go all the way down. I want to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. How, how, do we, how do we fight against individualism? How do we fight against making it all about me? The first one, it's pretty simple, but I'm going to unpack it, and that's this. I've got to find ways to systematically and intentionally live beyond me. There is nothing more fulfilling in your life when you begin to make a difference 
in someone else's. I promise you, no vacation, no new car, no bonus will give you the fulfilling feeling of making a difference in someone else's life. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Again, let's lean into this scripture. Look what it says. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. So there's some of you who are successful when it comes to finances. You make healthy investments. You budget well. You are successful. God did not engineer you that way just for you. There's some of you that are incredibly creative. And you're incredibly expressive, whether it's through art or music or all the different forms of art. As you can tell, I'm not artistic. I can't list them all. God did not make you creative and artful just for you. He, he made you that way for the common good. And so we have to see this, and you see the same thing of individuality, but yet we, we're, we're fulfilling it in community. There, there's this tension between the two. So how do we do this in the Morris household? How do we teach our kids this? Well, in the Morris household, we do a family meal. We eat together. And one of the things that we allow our kids to do is every once in a while, we let them pick the menu. They, they get to pick what we're going to make and what we're going to eat. Come on, how many of you guys have kids and you got kids? The minute you put the food on the table after you've been at work all day, you made some food, and the first thing they do is like, oh, I don't want this. How many of you guys at that moment want to slap them across the room? <laughs> Metaphorically. Okay. So we do this thing where we teach our kids, hey, you pick the menu. And some of my kids, they pick dumb stuff. They're like, I want chicken nuggets, french fries, and spaghetti. All right, everything's tan on the plate. And the kids sit down, and all the other kids are like, I don't, I don't want this, but guess what? It's kind of one of those things where like, if you don't eat, I'm not making you something else. And if your kids don't want to eat, I promise you, just tell them, well, cool, this is what we're eating. If you don't want to eat it, you don't have to eat. Day two, they'll figure it out. They will. Well, I don't want them to go hungry. No, they need to go hungry because then they'll appreciate what you put on the table. They ain't going to die. Here's the crazy thing is even though my daughter picked the menu, everybody eats. And then after everybody eats, everybody gets up and cleans the kitchen. Because we're teaching them that, yes, there are moments where you get to pick. But when you don't get to pick, you still eat and you still clean. And here's the crazy thing. There's a lot of people that will skip and move out on churches and they'll go from church to church to church because they'll say, well, they're not really feeding me. No, they're feeding you. It's just they're not letting you pick the menu. You want to set the menu. You want to act like Gordon Ramsay and walk in and be like, what is this F word things? Here's the thing. When you plug into a community, here's what will happen. I'm still going to eat. I didn't pick the menu. But if I stay consistent and I stay faithful, there's going to come a time when the menu is just for me. And I'll eat it. I'll consume it. I'll be fed by it. But I'm still a part. And I'll eat 
and I'll be fed and then I'll help clean. And what do we got to do? How do we got to serve? How do we make it happen? You got to find a way to systematically, intentionally look beyond yourself. So here's the crazy thing. Where do you serve? Where do you serve? Are you on the dream team? Don't give me that I don't have time. You got time for the things you love. You'll make time. Where do you, where do you systematically, not do I feel like it, because guess what? We ain't always going to feel like it. I don't wake up in the morning feeling like a saint sometimes. Sometimes I'm mad at everybody. Where do you serve? Next week we got Dream Team Orientation. Here's fun. I'm not going to go deep into it because you know who needs to hear it. Your spirit is going to talk to you. Where do you give? Where do you invest? Is your money just for you? Or do you invest in the kingdom of God? Another one, who are you inviting to church? Like y'all need, Easter's in a few weeks. Y'all need to pick the most lost person in your life. Remember on the playground? Like if you wanted to make a name for yourself, you found the biggest, baddest bully and you hit him in the nose. Y'all didn't do that? I didn't either, I was too scared. Here's the thing. Who in your life is a rebel against the kingdom of God. Begin praying now and go, God, you've uniquely gifted me for a common purpose and a common good. How can I begin? Who are you bringing to church? Every person in the kingdom of God once a year should have somebody sitting next to them that they brought. Every year. Second thing, really practical. I'm going to get real practical. Because some of y'all are like, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what my giftings are. Y'all ever struggle with that? I struggle with that. Y'all ever struggle with that? No? You, you, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Y'all ever struggle with like not knowing what your gifts are? Thank you. I appreciate it. Come on, let's have some time of honesty. Y'all ever struggle with that? I struggle with it. I don't know what I'm good at. Like I know what I'm good at naturally, but I don't know what I'm good at spiritually. I don't know what the spiritual gifts are in me. This is going to blow your mind. This is really deep. This is some St. Thomas of Aquinas stuff. Not really. You got to get people in your life that love the Lord and love you. And here's what you, all you have to do. You got to get faithful followers of Jesus. And you just ask them this question. What do you see in me? Ask a spouse. What, what do you see in me? Because sometimes we can get in our head and we can think, oh, I don't know that I'm, I'm really that, that good. Just a personal story. Sometimes I wrestle with what type of communicator I am, right? Like, am I like more of a teaching communicator? Am I a soul winner? Am I more? Um, my dad called me the other day, and my dad, growing up, was not a like a very verbal communicator, just because of stuff that happened in his past. So, he called me the other day. He said, "I watched some of your messages," and. Um, as he's going to pay me a compliment, I'm interrupting him because it gets awkward and I don't want to go there. And he goes, no, no, stop. Listen. He goes, you've got a gift of evangelism. You've got, and I was like, ah, you know, and he goes, no, stop. Like I see it. It's on your life. I'm not saying that to build myself up. I promise you I'm not. I'm saying that to say that sometimes even I struggle with it. And it's good to be in a community of people that call out the potential and call out the giftedness in other people. So here's my thing. 
when you go out in the lobby and when you get in the car, start calling out potential. You know what I see in you? You are a kind person and you make people feel welcome. You know what? You are really intelligent and you can think strategically. You could really help the church. You know what? You are an incredibly educated person. I think you could probably help people understand God's word in a really clear way. Man, you are an incredible singer. I hear you in the bathroom all the time. Why are you not on the worship team, right? Like you have got to be, you've got to be lifting up the, come on, you've got to do this. You see, let the church, more than the NFL, more than Major League Baseball, more than the NHL, more than soccer, why can we not be the greatest scouting department in the kingdom of God saying, hey, there's giftedness in you. There's ability in you. I'm calling it out in you. And why can we not be vulnerable enough to go, hey, what do you see in me? It doesn't mean we haven't made it. It just means we're searching and we're going, God, what do you put in me? Let me encourage you with this last thought. Just because I'm not great doesn't mean I'm not gifted. Day one, I'm not going to be great, but I'm still gifted. Michael Jordan, the first time he shot a basketball, he wasn't great, but he was gifted. First time Tiger Woods swung a golf club, he wasn't great, but he was. The first time I preached, I was not great, but I was. Today I preached, I might not have been great, but I was. So let me close and we're going to be done. Because there's a lot of talk right now in the culture today about being a girl boss, being an alpha male. Y'all hear about these topics? I'm a girl boss. I'm an alpha male. I'm no beta. I feel like if you have to say it, you probably are that. If you have to claim alpha status, man, beta. I'm not going to get into the things as a whole other message, but here's what I want to tell you for the person who struggles with individualism. Girl bosses and alpha males still need a father. You can't do it on your own because you're not enough for you. And you're going to reach a moment where you get desperate and you've got to turn to Jesus. You've got to turn to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you speak right now. You speak right now to the hearts of people. God, your Holy Spirit was already in the room. It's already going to speak now. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord. God, for the person who is struggling with individualism, trying to do it all to themselves, trying to bootstrap their life, trying to make it, trying to hustle and grind, but they're finding it, that they're still disappointed, they're still empty, they're still not enough. God, I pray that today they come to the Father through your Son, Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every head closed, I just want to simply lead you in this prayer. And if you're here this morning that wants to begin a relationship with Jesus by surrendering your life to him, I'm going to ask you on the count of three to join the people in the first service to say yes to Jesus. If that's you this morning, you're there. Nobody looking around. Just between you, me, and the Holy Spirit. If that's you and you want to say say yes to Jesus on the count of three, just slip your hand up. One, two, three. Just put your hand way up in the air. Yep, I see you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, anybody else? Praise God, I see you. Yep, I see you in the back. Praise God. I see you here. In Jesus' name. Come on, hands going up. Anybody else? And then we're going to pray. Yep, I see you right there. Praise God. If you raise your hand, you can place it back down. Church family, will you say this together with me? Just say, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. I invite you into my heart. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me 
taking the punishment I deserved and giving me grace. Forgive me of my sins, Jesus, and help me follow you. Today, Jesus, is the first day of my new life in you. Today, Jesus, I name you Lord, I name you Savior, and I name you King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.